0: have we seen so many free agent signings already despite the expected MLB lockout? We'll be answering that question and diving into some early offseason ADP with Chris Welsh. You know him on Twitter at is it the Welsh? And Chris, we'll start there. Have you been surprised by teams taking such early action this winter? Yeah, I actually
1: am. Uh, I did a, a show like a week or so ago. Actually, I think it was the return of the In This League Fantasy Baseball podcast. We had taken like a five or six weeks off Scott Bogman and I in, in the first episode. We were going through, um, you know, some of the, we're going through a mock draft and going through some of the news and notes. I think Eduardo Rodriguez had just signed and that was the topic of conversation was to say, what do we have in store for us? Because we're in this really weird transitional period because we've got, you know, we're, we're coming off the, the bad COVID season to have a normal full season. We want things to get back to normal. And then, oh, we have a completely new collective bargain agreement that has to be agreed upon. And that's December 1st. And the Eduardo signing was kind of odd to me because I was like, all right, someone got signed. I assumed that you were not going to have many of any of them really to sign by December 1st, because you know, the players are going to fight and fight and they're going to get some positives back. And I kind of think that would work in favor of contracts, which my concern with that Brennan was that if this happens and we, and we have this collective bargaining agreement issue and no one signs, we are going to have one of the oddest off seasons ever because you're going to have major free agents that are not going to be having a home or playing maybe a spring training starts. We've seen guys hold off for a little bit. So all of that to set up to then say like, all of a sudden we're getting, we are getting big contract. We're getting big guys going rumors of Detroit trying to make a big move. You've got the Carlos Correa sniffing around stuff. I am surprised. And, And what that tells me, and this is my only guess is that, in early negotiation, you know, like they're not going to just go into collective bargaining agreement and just like have no idea. They're not blindly going in. There's been plenty of talks. I think there's a framework of everybody knows what's in store. What it tells me is there's got to be something in store for big contracts for, you know, uh, big year to contracts or signing bonuses or there's some concession that the Players Association is assuming Because otherwise, why would anybody sign before a collective bargaining agreement happens? Because a PA would probably fight for more money, maybe less years, and more control for the players. Maybe the players feel like they're going to lose more control than ever before because they're going to be asking for, you know, players want the DH. Uh, There's a few other things that are out there. So that's just my assumption. I am as shocked as you are, but my only guess is the PA is potentially sniffing around and thinking that They're going to be a little bit more restricted whenever the agreement comes to.
0: I think that's that's the key, you know, is and that's for listeners and fans of MLB who might not have been following, you know, the lockout news extremely closely is once the World Series ended, you know, there was a lot of stories right away about how, okay, a lockout might very well be coming, you know, December 1st. That's when the agreement expires and a lockout might be coming, but it might not, you know, the expectation was it wouldn't bleed into you know next season at all that will technically be locked out for a few months but there's still a lot of hope and optimism that a resolution comes and i think just you know any signings that we get before december 1st the ones that we've already had that you and i are going to dive into a little bit here and then any more that come in the next 10 11 days is is just gravy uh for us fans yeah and also the other thing that we can consider is
1: Is uh, again, I would love to hear like what do what are agents telling their players that could be a concession, but also it could be as simplistic as this players may just want to get that signing bonus now because they're not going to get paid when if if there is a you know lockout, they're not going to get paid. Which, by the way, like you would hope there's not going to be a lockout, but the assumption is there's always going to have been one, it's just how long is it going to go into the season, and there is real worry. That this is going to go deep into the season and players are not going to get paid. So these guys that are major free agents, you know, it's going to be tough if things don't be aren't agreed upon. The more they think about this, if things aren't agreed upon to, let's say, like early February for teams to then go and drop big bonuses when they might may have already been moving forward with the construction of their rosters, that there could be some of the fringy guys I just want to get paid now, Eduardo. It's a perfect example. Just get paid now. You're not the top pitching. You uh, you aren't you're not the top SP on the market. So go get your bonus. Don't worry about the other stuff. You got paid, and you don't have to worry about fighting to try to get a contract because we've also seen plenty of these guys in the past that will like hold out, really due to the ridiculous, um, you know, compensation. Like teams will not sign players because there might be a first round pick compensation that's uh, a to it, or they lose picks. That you'll see players have to push more into spring training. And then what happens to those guys? One year contracts every single time. They don't sign big deals. And then they're going to wait till the next offseason. So it just, you know, it it's more proactive signings that I think I'm surprised about. But I still hold that it's gonna get wacky if we get to December first and you know Carlos Correa has not signed and Corey Seeger has not signed because you could go you could go into weeks before the season starting without those players having teams. And what that matters is fantasy, too. Fantasy. Carlos Correa is the most exceptionally unique one of all these players that he's been on a a, a stolen base suppressed team for his entire career that if he were to go to Detroit specifically, Detroit was in, I, I was doing this, I think the top 10 in stolen bases last year, at least stolen base attempts. So you go from a bottom team to a top team. If you add 10 stolen bases to Correa's resume, that boosts him up probably at least two rounds. And this is a guy that can be a 35. And if you add 10 or 15 stolen bases, he's Baez with the
0: better batting average and and a better floor. Listeners of the Fantasy Pros MLB show should, of course, be familiar with Chris Welsh. Again, he's on Twitter at is it is it the Welsh from in this league? Chris, you also do, you know, one of my favorite prospect podcasts out there. Prospect one. I know you're so heavily focused so often you're out there in the Arizona Fall League, you know, you're, you're going to uh, uh, the Arizona complex games and all that during the season. I thought it would be fun if we took a step back from the prospects for this off season show and kind of reacted to some of this news. Cause we actually do have news to react to. And then yeah. took an early look at some ADP data over at NFBC. One thing that I've been thinking about with some of these, early offseason signings and if I'm going to throw a little bit of cold water on things I think at least two of them obviously Verlander and Syndergaard who we'll get into to start is the Tommy John angle and I think if you're a MLB team expecting a lockout to come and you had interest in these two guys you probably want to get them in your system before that happens and you can start you know monitoring their rehab more closely and everything and and that's just something i've been thinking about obviously the astros were already familiar with verlander and where he's at but if you're the angels it it kind of makes sense to get Syndergaard in there early you don't want to be signing him if the lockout lasts to late february early march into spring training so uh again i i kind of think that these two are more unique in that situation but i'd love to be wrong in the next 10 days and we, we get just some like more like eduardo type signings like just not the injury attachment to it. I think
1: it's a real possibility. You know, the the one thing I'm actually surprised that has not happened is actually the trades. I kind of think the trade market would pick up a little bit. I don't even know at this point, like the winter meetings have been canceled or they've not, or there's like a mini one or it's out there, you know, like they haven't officially said, but they're going to be in a lockout when the winter meetings are going. So it probably won't happen. And that's usually when trades go down. But yeah, I mean, I, I think proactiveness, if you think about, what you're dealing with from a business standpoint teams want to be as proactive as possible to understand the roster they have, because they may not be able to really dig in until February or March or into spring training or right before. And you know, with the Angels specifically, Berlander was always going back to the uh, Astros. Like I don't, whatever we all want to like have fun and pretend he was always going back to the Astros. They just won. They just won the world. Series. There's, There's no doubt. There's no doubt. Um, but, uh, or close. And, um, on the on the Syndergaard side, like the Angels always had to make that signing. They had to spend their money. They had to spend their money on an SP, and they finally did that. That was the structure they needed to go in. All the, they always spending their money on bats and bats and bats. This was the move that they needed to do. Verlander was always going back with where the Astros were at, making it to the World Series. Syndergaard and the Angels were a perfect fit. These signings make sense. It's all about the um, it's all about the signings that don't make sense yet with the big, big money. And that's what I'm just not so sure happens before uh, before December 1st.
0: So much of the past few off seasons been like when teams aren't spending money and we spend a lot of time or I at least spend a lot of time on Twitter and people just get so mad about, you know, the team's not spending money and players maybe not getting what they're worth and whatnot. I think one of the more surprising aspects of these early signings were these were some pretty player friendly contracts, I think. I mean, Verlander basically got a two year, $50 million deal. Syndergaard got above the QO. Eduardo got you know 77 million guaranteed, and he can opt out after year two. So, so those are pretty good. How much do you put uh, for Verlander and Syndergaard specifically? How much weight do you put into the fact that these teams went out and gave them big money, and if that shows that they're comfortable with where those guys are at health wise? I think I think yes to that, but I also think we
1: you look at that as like player friendly deals. But that might be a medium deal under the new collective bargaining agreement. Again, you, you know, they know they know what is going to happen. Like all this stuff we are going to learn when the CBA is agreed upon, we'll be like, holy cow. These guys all know that. Like there'll, there'll be a little concession here or there. A big rumor forever has been that the Players Association is going to have to give up on the international signing uh, period and create an international draft. That'll be something a PA has to give up on, which they already have capped money. So they're gonna know all this stuff outside of little incremental things. So I look at that as I don't even look at them as player friendly. I look at that's probably what the market is next round. Health, yes, I think Syndergaard will be good to go, or uh, Verlander is going to be relatively good to go with the Angels or the Astros. To be honest with you, we could see these signings, and they might not be a dictation that these guys are going to go and and have all the innings in the world. Specifically, Syndergaard these guys might be buying these guys for the playoff run or for May, you know, the season could get pushed. There's another thing. Think about that. Two injured guys with Tommy John issues, signed contracts, big money. What if the players association and MLB also assumes that this season's going to get pushed? They would have just bought themselves an extra month. Let's just just hypothetically say the season started in May coming off of the injury. Then you could get a full season of Syndergaard if a month Mm -hmm. was a bit off. So I don't really look at it as any sign of health based on the money. I just look at it as a commitment to a need. And there are some extracurricular things in here of this might be relative to the market once the CVA is agreed upon, or maybe you're going to have a work stoppage and that only works better for these two injured guys to uh, have a little bit more time to get going.
0: Something we've talked about uh, at Fantasy Pros on the MLB side of things is it's not getting to It's mid-November right now. It's so early. I I know you're obviously, you know, bleed baseball year round, and yeah. I am already like starting some early 2022 rankings and and all that sort of stuff. So it's very exciting. I, I do think it's good to start running your processes as, you know, an analyst and, you know, really remembering what happened the season prior and start thinking about next year and whatnot. But, but it is too early. We want to be mindful of that. All that being said, again, with the major caveats that it's so early, Verlander, I think, you know, there are some NFBC drafts going on. I think as of last night, there had been eight drafts and already his ADP is going really up. Any What I like to do, what I'm liking to say is, you know, right now, I don't want to make any, obviously, definitive statements. Oh, we got to be all in on this guy in 2022. I like to just say, you know, this is someone who I kind of expect I'll have a slight lean on or I'm going to slightly shy away from between Verlander and Siniger, just uh, some of this is some guesswork with ADP lands, but is is there just any initial thoughts that you have on them for next season? Yeah,
1: sure. Uh, do you have the NFB? What is uh, Verlander's
0: NFBC? Do you have it? Uh, let me pull it up real quick. It's, it's gone up already since he signed.
1: Because one thing I'm doing over uh, at in this league, we we do tons of stuff with, like baseball and football and all that all year long. Is we ha- we have a Patreon, and in it we are creating. An ITL based ADP because the only ADP really that's out there is NFBC, which is great by the way. It's a fantastic one. It's a good reference point. ADP should always be reference point, but this is a secondary one. We are conducting drafts throughout the off season to create an an off season ADP that can you can maybe counter with uh, NFBC. And I've got where he went in
0: ours, so I'm curious where he is in NFBC. Yeah, he's at 164 right now, but that includes a high pick of 206. So obviously that occurred before the signing. low pick yeah before yeah. that occurred before the signing so so it's it's gone up and his high pick then is 124 so okay you ready for this guess yeah. guess
1: where guess where he went in the it we, we conducted three drafts we'll do a whole bunch more this is in my personal one that i was in guess that number and this is after he signed yeah uh this was probably done right around like don't don't yeah. even put that in like assume everybody in here is assuming he's got his team he's uh, gonna play he's gonna pitch majority of the year steamer projections are out uh Justin Verlander, by the way steamer projections 175 175 innings 12 wins just under 11k per nine which is a it's a little bit under his 2019 numbers but still close in a three and a half era so what where do you think like 150 ish 90 wow 90 now the the point of why i say that is that's the market. The market is already building in the excitement of Verlander. Verlander is a pitcher that has top three round upside. Obviously he's coming off Tommy John and he's older and blah, blah, blah. But you think about the excitement that's built into what you can get off of him. And then you start to get post 75. I think legitimately what I've taken him 90, maybe probably not, but I think that's where we're going to get. I think that's an early look. The mindset is already there for people. That's why we're doing these to try to get actual consumer drafting, not just, you know, high dollar stuff. Um, I think you're going to get near the 100s. Now, I don't like the cost necessarily, especially anybody coming off of Tommy John, though I do think Justin Verlander is unique. I think he's unique like Max is unique. They're just different specimens that they don't break down like Madison Bumgarner or Clayton Kershaw, who are like three years younger than them. They are, they are unique in that respect. And we've already seen Verlander adjust who he was in his 30s where he dipped, he lost that velocity really hard, and then he brought it all back. I have faith in Justin Verlander. And of the two I'm buying Verlander, I'm probably staying heavily away from uh, Noah Syndergaard. Unless I don't know what his cost is right now, but I'm most likely not going to invest it. I'm looking at, trying to look at my ITL. ITL1, he went 208. So that's not horrible, but I think the innings are going to be way more capped on Syngard. Like, if the season were to start in, you know, whatever, late March, early April, I don't I don't know if you see Sinigard in the first month. And if you do, I don't know if you see him really un- unloading on innings. I think they could piggyback him. I just don't feel good about it. I think the projections have him around, like, you know, 120. I haven't even looked. I should probably look here. Because Steamer has got um, Verlander on 175, which I think, you know, you can cue that into a you know, a top end pitcher that they got 172 on Noah Sinnegard. I just don't believe that at the cost. It's fine. I don't hate the cost, but I like Verlander more. But now you're in this battle, Brennan, of values. And this is what I always do. I always get into these player debates. It's Noah Sinegard at 200 or Verlander at 100. Which would you want to pay? What would you want to pay?
0: Yeah, I was just thinking about that where you said that if because the popular narrative that I've seen so far has been a little bit shying away But if that, you know, last and I'm doing drafts in March and he's still, you know, around 200, then then, yeah, I would be interested at that point. But if we're expecting some inflation to come between now and then. But if you if you have to if you had
1: to literally those two are pit up against each other, 100 Verlander, 200 Syndergaard, you have to
0: invest in one of those. Is it Syndergaard? Yeah, for me at this point in the Mm -hmm. offseason, especially if I have to make that call. Uh, I'll just take the cheaper option of the two. And and again, I, I agree with you on Verlander. I, I want to believe in him as an outlier and his competitive fire is going to bring him back at age 39. But it, it is still, you know, I don't think that's something to bank on. I think that there's still some uncertainty and risk in that.
1: Yeah, I, I honestly is going to sound wacko because I agree with you on value. I probably would go with Verlander. That's how much I don't think I'm interested in Syndergaard. Show me, you know, Syndergaard is a true show me. I don't think there's a show me-ness with uh, Justin Verlander. The only thing you want to see is that he's good to go from health. Verlander's got, or uh, Syndergaard's got more than that. It's not only are you good from health, but can you regain your, you know, elite strikeout ability, which you showed for, by the way, one year, where he had a, you know, 10 and a half K per nine in 2016. It has steadily declined. And he has had uh, in the nines since 2018, which isn't, you know, it's not like a complete throwaway or anything like that, but it's not fantastic. And you know, ERA looks like it's, it could slowly start inflating. And then also, you're just going to the Angels. You know, I don't, I don't know how much I love the Angels. Um, you know, development uh, from the minor leagues into the majors. You've got health issues with players. They keep. I mean, look at Rendon, Trout, Upton, just consistently injured. No great pitching. They move off of it. Bundy fell apart. Like they're not. He's not going to a. He's not going to Seattle. You know, he's not going to Houston. He's not going to a place where I really think he can thrive. So I'm not overly excited. I would actually rather take what I know in Verlander, which I really think you can get a top five SP in the post 100s with a little bit of risk than I would know with Syndergaard, even though it's dirt cheap. I just don't have a belief in it. Belief in
0: it. (laughs) I think just two more to close those two out. Two more micro level thoughts is one: Verlander also he's on a good team. You know, wins are hard to predict, but you gotta be you gotta figure if he's going deep into games and playing for the Astros, he'll get some wins. And then Syndergaard, I do think the Angels are still going to use a six man rotation with Otani around, and on the one hand that could keep him healthier, but it'll hurt his volume. You alluded to the Eduardo Rodriguez signing as well. He obviously isn't in the same tier as these guys, but I think you know. My biggest takeaway from Erod in 2021 was he had a 474 ERA, a 350 X ERA, a 343 X FIP. He he and Aaron Nola were the two all season. It was well look at the underlying numbers. It's gonna come around. And it never happened. And you know, sometimes one season's worth of baseball isn't a big enough sample size for that to happen. You start digging a little deeper. The Red Sox defense was historically one of the worst we've seen in a long time. A lot of people know about Xander. Bogart's issues defensively at shortstops I think he has just positive regression on his side and just getting away from Boston's defense I think will be good for him so he gets I think a little bit of a slight bump up but I also don't think we need to spend a ton of words on Erod in mid November
1: yeah only thing I would add though is he gets the defensive bump theoretically right now but it's a massive drop offensively so if you see like Carlos Correa specifically, if that happens, that's kind of game-changing. Astros were number one defensively in field percentage last, last year. So think about that. Carlos Correa is involved in that. You put him on there. He instantly helps your defense. He instantly helps your offense. If you get Correa in there, you're probably going to be able to bring in a few more bodies. If they add you know, two pieces or you know two solid pieces and then one uh, other side piece, that could be something where if they can improve the offense, you're giving the boost already defensively for eduardo rodriguez then he deserves a really big bump i think it's slight right now i think if anything he was the first signing to change teams so we all got really excited it's a recency bias of where we're at right now uh underlining stats are fun but we need both sides to click and if the tigers do check that eduardo's going to be a nice sneaky uh i don't know like 150 i'm not really sure where he's going but somewhere in that range maybe even a little bit higher really good guy to round out a rotation maybe an sp4 or something like that
0: yeah and to the welshers point mike petriello of MLB.com is was talking about this mid-season and i've looked it up since the end of the season on baseball savant you can look at the percentage of grounders that a team defensively turned into outs for their starting pitchers i know that's a mouthful but all you need to know is Erod ranked dead last in that regard. So, again, the Correa signing would help a lot. This was a really fun one for me because, again, like some of these came out of nowhere just one morning. was, oh, Jose Barrio, seven year contract extension. Totally- it, it went for 131 million. Really fun stat or just fact in a name I hadn't heard in a while. The previous record for a Blue Jays contract. Was Vernon Wells seven years, hundred twenty six million? So I hadn't heard that name, and why I just thought that was really fun. Again, I know this was just an extension and not changing teams, but any you know thoughts on Brios hanging around in Toronto now?
1: Yeah, no, I thought it was pretty solid. I mean, he improved his uh, his FIP a little bit when he was there. Um, ERA it was kind of in line with what he did with Minnesota, but there's just a ton more offense. Defensively, I think it's a solid spot. This is a great sign. This is what you wanted. You wanted Burrios to return. You you would have loved Eduardo Rodriguez to go to Toronto. All the offense in the world. Uh, Vladdy has been better defensively. They've got Bichette in there. You know they've they've got just a great team. That's you know them playing where they did last year hurt a little bit. But if you're back in normal, you're back in Toronto. I think that's a solid spot. I love the signing of Brios. Uh, I've always been kind of a Barrios guy for whatever reason. And I, uh, I hope to see the improvement. I hope to see him kind of keep rocking. He improved almost a full strikeout per nine with Toronto, uh, on the trade. So I hope to see that mid three ERA, lots of offensive support, get some wins and keep striking out. If he can keep that 10, uh, K per nine, that's going to be a big number for him to move from like a. You know, like a, a mid SP that we we kind of want to a guy that we're actually like targeting and we're actually running for, and uh, that would, in the last two years he's gotten himself into like that mid nine and a half range, and he lowered his walks pretty significantly last year too. Jose Barrios could be in line to be one of those sneaky. You know, it reminds me of it reminds me of uh, what everybody wanted Luis Castillo to be the last two years. Everyone would take him around like eighty. You know. 75, 85, and they're like, this is going to be the guy that's going to get that top SP. Brios has that feel of a player that, you know, you get maybe, it depends how you want to attach. You could go, you know, pocket aces or whatever with your strategy, but you get a solid SP and then you pair it with Brios. He might look like an SP3, but he's going to feel and play more like an SP2.
0: Since 2018, only Aaron Nola has made more starts in the majors than Jose Brios. And as we know these days, with so many pitchers, you know, being skipped around a bit and having short outings, that volume matters. So that's a point in Brios' favor. Last that's a piece, good stat. Yeah. Last piece, actually, I got two more pieces of news before we get into just a few interesting ADPs. Brandon Bell accepting the qualifying offer. He was the only player to do so. I just wanted to highlight him in this because really fun stat. Minimum of 500 plate appearances from the past two years. Brandon Belt ranks third in Woba, WRC plus ISO. And he's second in the league in slugging during that time. Just kind of really underappreciated. Hopefully he gets a little bit more notice now that we know where he's staying.
1: Be great if they add it. Well, I say if it's going to happen when the DH is a part of Major League Baseball on both sides next year. They're in an interesting spot because, you know, they've got Joey Bart who's sitting in the wings. Posey's gone. They've got this kid, Patrick Bailey, who's out here in the AFL right now, who's their defensive catcher of the future. With the additive DH, you know, Bell has had so many injury issues. They could platoon Bart and him between DH first. I think Bart's going to play. He'll catch, but I think he's going to be playing a little bit more first as well into the future when Bailey comes up. That. The DH is a positive for Brandon Belt that, you know, if they want to move around, he can have some time just to hit because he has suffered from so many injury things. And he's one of those guys you go and look and you're just like, man, if he could play a full season, he probably would run with it. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm, I'm with you. It's interesting. I'm not surprised that he re-signed it. He's comfortable there. There's a spot. They know the DH is coming. I think that's a lot of what's behind it
0: the one piece of prospect news we have and this came a couple of weeks ago at this point but John Morosi of mwb.com reported that just out of nowhere Bobby Witt will be given every chance to make the opening day roster next season as the Royals third baseman so two things to unpack here one it's you know the inevitable Bobby Witt hype on NFBC his yes, ADP sir. is already 78.25 that is a little bit in we'll, I'll let you Comment on that, but the other thing that shocked me was that he said, as the third baseman, because I thought this whole thing was they were really down on Edgardo Mondesi mid-season, and they were talking about he's not going to play every day. They're going to move. He played third base when he came back. So, yeah, two things in that regard is: did the Bobby Whip the position comment surprise you? And then, how out of control is this hype going to get?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, not to do this, but I was on uh, CBS a month or two ago. And this is what I said. I said this exact thing. If there's one thing I know, it's Bobby Witt. I've known Bobby Witt for a long time. I know this stuff with him. And I presented this exact question when we were actually comparing Kelnick. And I said, Bobby Witt's going to be a top 75 guy. When it, we're, I can't believe we're already there. I thought when we got closer to season, I said, treat Bobby Witt like you treated Luis Robert when he was a rookie. That's the same. Now, you could fade. You could play, but that's where he's going to be. His cost is going to be into the 70s. You're going to have to deal with it. So ultimately, it was about who would you rather. And we put up a poll question uh, after that show, I think Frank Stanfield did, of Kelnick or Bobby Witt. And I said, put Kelnick in at about 100, 120, somewhere in there, and then put Bobby Witt inside the top 80. And it went pretty heavy, Jared Kelnick, because people weren't sure. Well, guess what? This pops out, and now it's going to go crazy, and you're already seeing it. In my uh, ITL ADP, he ended up going 86. This was also before that news. I'm not surprised by it. Um, That was something I said on that show, that I think he has the best opportunity to break camp, and that's why you treat him like Luis Robert. Also, you might have some buyout potential that's going to happen in the collective bargaining agreement where they might get rid of the, you know, the ridiculous manipulation of service time. It's one of baseball's biggest issue. Baseball needs a win and the players association needs a win. And I think that's going to be one of those keys that the PA is going to like hold up that they got is they got rid of the manipulation because that is just a bad look in general. I think Bobby Witt breaks camp and I'm not surprised by third base because he started working it. Uh, Nicky Lopez really, really improved his stock, hitting over 300, 20-plus stolen bases. They can't trust Mondesi, but Mondesi can play all over. You know, Witt was playing second. He could also play the outfield. They can adjust if they want. If they really wanted to get all those guys in, you can move Nicky over to second, which he played forever. Alberto can play short, and Bobby Witt, your third baseman, and Witt can play in the outfield. And they can move those guys around. Wit can play short. He could play second, which he's done. Nikki can play those. I mean, literally you have four players on three positions that can universally move around. They can all steal bases. I'm a Bobby Witt guy. I kind of fade a little bit rookies. I'm not a big rookie in their first year in redraft formats. So will I pay that price? I don't know. Uh, probably not. Uh, the projections are already beautiful on him. 25 homers, 18 stolen bases with a 260 batting average on early steamer stuff. And that's only over 130 games. That's not even building a manipulation. If I was going to, it will be Bobby Witt because I think he's a true stud. And I think he
0: breaks camp. I'm a full buyer and I've been preaching it for for months. I think that's what surprised me so much. But again, anyone talking about you know Bobby Witt Jr. and 2022 drafts in early November is you know diehard fantasy baseball players. But so much of what surprised me is because I thought we were going to get a lot of rookies and incoming prospects next year, more on the cheap, kind of like we used to after how poorly some of these guys performed when first getting called up in 2021, but at least, you know, you'll get those guys
1: cheap. You're going to get those guys cheap. And I think that's going to be a winning strategy for next year. You'll get those guys that really underperform, but you know, if they get rid of, if they get rid of the manipulation and you can have guys break camp right out and they don't have to worry about this anymore. I just don't think you get discount. It's hard to get discounts on anything. If there is an unknown, you'd get no discount. If there's any bit of knowledge, people moved off of those top prospects from last year. They're going to move off of them in such a silly way because of a short sample size. And you, you don't see universe. I've said this at nauseam, that whole Craig council saying the biggest jump ever was this year from AAA to AA. And I really think that means a lot. And you, you physically see it with these guys. You see Bohm struggled. You see Adele actually, Adele got a little bit better. Key Brian Hayes struggled. Carlson had, they all, everybody but Wander, who guess what? Breaking news. Wander is a freak. He is uniquely a freak. That's why he was the number one. Everybody else struggled. There's something to that. The adjustment, the game, the rules, everybody is going to just push those values down. I, I can't even imagine where guys like Baum and Key Brian Hayes are going to end up going. And those are going to be the values off of a full real off season, not a COVID adjustment season that they are going to be going with. And I think those are going to be the values. But if something is unknown you ain't getting a discount, you never do. You never do.
0: I like the point you made about the service time manipulation in the CBA, because a lot of the headlines that get thrown around are about the universal DH and expanded playoffs and whatnot. But for fantasy, especially, you know, for rookie and prospect centric folks, that is going to make a big difference difference. With our time remaining here, I just want to get to some of these interesting ADPs. And again, I'm not. No one's gonna tie either of us, you know, to our thoughts that we share today. Oh, they'll, on, try. On <laughs> they'll try. They'll try, They'll try.
1: Don't don't get that
0: wrong on these guys. But but I do think it's a worthwhile exercise to just give, like I said before, a slight lean or a slight shy away. Just some some, some early thoughts and some of this stuff. And some sure. of these guys, again, like the Verlander stuff, we can like forecast. Oh, he hasn't signed yet. Now he signed, and we we can expect the bump to go. Uh, throughout the offseason but we'll just get to some of these and this is on nfbc this was as of last night i put this adp info in there had been eight drafts ronald acuna is at 12 and again nfbc is 15 team leagues i want to add that it's 15 team league roto five by five roto so not i know not everyone's league is like that but again they are a good place to start getting a feel for the market ronald acuna is going towards the end of the first round does that feel right to you
1: Oh, man, Uh, this is we actually this is a big, heavy debated one on uh, my ITL show on our first return back because it was this exact one, because we were also comparing it to that episode. We compared our end of season. We did one like as the season was ending a mock and then this one. And the biggest difference was Acuna's price tag. He went like top three in the end of season one. And then I think everybody got a real scope of how long he'd be out. And then he went 11 um, in ours. And that's where he, he said in my physical draft, he went 11. And I looked at that and my initial reaction is, man, for someone that you are like almost guaranteed to miss a month on, I can't pay a first round price tag on. Now, here's a couple extra things. His projections are wild. You look at his projections and you would almost think he's not going to miss time. 122 games, 35 homers, 25 stolen bases, 35, 25 with 99 runs. That's steamer. Wait till the bat gets in on it. The thing, though, that I I do think about, and there's a couple of ways to play it from a head to head perspective. That doesn't feel right. I can't do that from a head to head perspective. I think there's too much inherent risk from any type of a roto format. Yeah, I mean, you can you can kind of subside it a little bit. And if you're just trying to accumulate, you're going to accumulate hard based on this stuff. But you do have to think about, you know, the injuries and it biting back. We have we have this in instances of other sports. That's what uh, Bogman and I were talking about, where. You know, he had been burned by Le'Veon Bell, you know, who had question marks coming into the year. I had been burned one year in basketball by Kawhi Leonard, who had some injury stuff and fell. And then, boom, you're out of it. He looks like he's in incredible physical shape. He's already moving ahead. But I I think you have to assume you're going to miss a month. So team construction is important in it. I think you could do the wheel. Anything higher, I don't like. I don't like taking him seven or something like that. Like, even NFBC is doing this. I don't like the thought of taking Acuna over Bryce Harper. You know, yeah, MVP, blah, blah, blah. blah. I I would take a rather whole season of Bryce Harper and go with that risk than just that slight risk of maybe a little bit of a bounce back. I would take Harper over him, and that's not happening on NFBC. The wheel is a decent spot. If you have the right mindset, I think with a major injury like that, you can make this work. But just know, you've got a month. You might have more. There can be setbacks. And... You know, with this type of injury, maybe he doesn't come back and run as hard as he was before. Maybe there's also a ramp up period when he gets game. So, what if you really got a third of Acuna through two and a half months or something like that? So, I think it's a little risky. I'm, I like to risk. I like to make bets a little bit more. That's probably not what I'm going to do unless I get a value on him. But I really think with, I don't know, he's working out and you know, putting photos out there. My boy Casey Bubba was tweeting like, oh, he's going to start the season. Kind of think he's going to move up a little bit and I'm probably going to move away. You know, I'm going to move away. If I'm going to take Harper over him at this point, you know, I'm probably not much of a buyer.
0: I want to make it very clear that I know that Ronald Acuna and I are in different tiers of athleticism, but I have torn both my ACLs and the idea that it takes, you know, a couple of years to really get back, you know, to feeling like your full self is definitely true so that's something to keep in mind i really think the stolen bases could be low but who knows maybe he could you know he, he improves so much as a hitter this season that he could you know get reach his uh, uh adp status just on the bat alone even without the wheel but I,
1: th- I think it's important to also look at him like who is he and who could he be if he does steal less well i mean he's probably like harper and so I was just, just, just going to say. Yeah, that. you could just take Harper. Just take Harper right now. I mean, uh obviously MVP season 35 13 100 and hitting uh hit 300 had 100 runs a little bit low in the RBI. Projections have him at 35 100 100 269 with 12 stolen bases. I mean, that's wild because that's 30 more almost 30 more games with 10 less stolen bases and like, you know, 15 batting average points less but more RBI. And just no injury that's attached to it. So that, that's me. That's how I'll go with it. I think you can find stolen bases in other places. But I'm also going to assume my projection will be that we miss maybe a little bit extra time and that the stolen bases are not going to be heavy into the 20s coming off of this injury.
0: I thought this was fascinating. And it's something that I've noticed over the past couple of years has gotten bumped up more and more. And that saves. By my count, within the first top 100 picks, 10 closers went. This was highlighted by the fact that both Josh Hader and Liam Hendricks are going within the top 36. So they're like firm third round picks. And NFBC, is this something that is so specific to this format? Or is it happening only because it's early drafts and these guys are locked in? Or is there in your opinion, maybe a changing of the thought process where fewer guys are locked in as the ninth inning guys on their team. So the ones who we feel good about get bumped up.
1: Well, it's a couple, I'm tough for this question because I hate paying for saves. I absolutely hate it. I think this is unique to NFBC, how high they're going. Liam Hendricks is funny too. They brought in Kimber. I know like the thought process is like, they're going to trade Kimberl and stuff, but um I'm not going to pay these prices. What makes this harder, though, is I used to live. This is how I used to live in stolen bases. I would take one top 10 guy, usually the cheaper. I take a mid guy and then I would balance on the bottom end. You really can't do that. And this year showed it that there is not a lot of wiggle room outside of the top guys. So it is a fight to make sure you have a lockdown closer. So that's where the cost is going to be difficult. But I just don't. Like I don't see the advantage to having Hayter up that high and having Hendricks up that high to get those saves. I'd rather pay in other spots. I'd rather pay the cheaper prices for similar... I mean, Kenley Jansen kept his job all year. I'd rather pay for those, I suppose, um, or speculate. I'm more of a speculative saves guy. I think it's harder to do than it ever was before, and there's more rotational... um, Saves are becoming the running back by committee in baseball, which makes it really, really uh, a huge pain And just like in fantasy football, you know, you're going to you want to pay for your workhorses. You want your Jonathan Taylors. You want your Derrick Henry's. And then you get into your um, your weird situations over here. It hurts. I'm still going to play that because I think you're passing up way too much value on hitting. There's some good pitchers that are going to be falling. So no thank you to the high uh, high closers
0: for me. I think this year was unique in the f- sense that both Hader and Hendricks were the top two guys coming into the season, and they both kind of, you know, met expectations. And that's a great that, point. that's a bit rare for closers to happen year over year. So if you know if even one of those guys has had failed this past season, I don't know if we would. Have the same enthusiasm for them going into 2022. One final guy I want to get your thoughts on again, tying it back into he, he's technically still a prospect, I think, but it's it's Shane Baz and his ADP is 121.5. If you want to compare that, you know, to the Verlander conversation we had earlier, there's no way. That again, assuming Verlander stays healthy, that Baz would get uh, the same workload as someone like Verlander. One, I know that ADPs aren't exactly similar, but I know you've been, you know, following Baz obviously through a prospect lens for a while. Does that one twenty one ADP surprise you at all? Uh, It doesn't. As
1: he went one twenty three in our ITL drafts, it's actually like right in right there. No, it doesn't surprise me just because like, there's a crop, there's the crop of the young pitchers that got innings. I think that's key is if there were guys that had, you know, high performing, uh, underlining statistics, like Al it's Alec Manoa, it's Logan Gilbert, it's Shane Boss, And for better or for worse, you, I think you throw like Shane McClanahan in there as well, because I think Shane McClanahan might be the best bet of all those guys to, to go on. But I think the key for all of those guys is they got a bulk of innings last year well, you're not going to project them under like 100 this year. So that's why you take high strikeouts. You know, Gilbert maybe was the biggest struggler of that. I'm a big Logan Gilbert guy. But I also think he might be the most complete uh, of all those players. I think he's a more complete pitcher than Boz. Yet Boz was, you know, like a, a high and elite strikeout guy and he completely changed his repertoire. But like Manoa and McClanahan are the two I would I would base myself off of. So I'm not surprised right around the 100s because once you get into the 100s, start taking some shots, man. I think there's shots, you know, fantasy baseball isn't won or lost with the first round, but you can pick and choose as you go to take those risk shots. You don't want to take too many. You want to balance it out, but once you get outside of the top 100, you are still filling out your roster, but I think pitching is a really important spot, and you got to take some shots, and young upside arms that look like they can go 120 plus, I'm not surprised that he goes there, but like I would go, I'm a McClanahan over Boz guy. So I would go with him. I kind of like Manoa and Gilbert more than him at this point. And I'm not really sure where all their values are going. I'm looking in that same round that he went in our ITL drafts. Logan Gilbert went in the same thing. And I want to say those other two went ahead because I'm not even seeing them on there. I would probably rather pay another round or two for Manoa or McClanahan.
0: but, um, But that's me. My issue, yeah, with, went the sixth. my issue with the Baz narrative is it, it's going to get shaped as, oh, this is a young starter who could break out. I'm not even necessarily worried about that. I think Baz is already confirmed good. You know, Saris of the Athletic has his metric stuff plus. Last season, again, he, he was a small sample, but, you know, stuff doesn't need a big sample uh, to show itself. Baz was one of eight starters with four or more pitches of a 105 stuff plus rating. I think he's good. Rich. I think – which is, I just put, yeah. is wild, <laughs> by the way,
1: because he when he was out here on the fall league in 19, he was so erratic. He was so all over the place. Fastball was the only thing he was going, but he wasn't moving it. And it was just getting smacked around and he was working all that stuff. But that's a testament to the Rays and why you bet on Rays guys, because they were able to take this guy. He was like a four walk per nine type of guy. And he was walking nobody this year. Completely changed who he was as a pitcher. And you see it on the field.
0: Yeah, so to me, the question isn't even, oh, is he gonna you know take another leap in terms of talent or skill? I think he's already done that. It's just a, it's more of a philosophical question, honestly, about how you wanna construct your team with innings and workload and you know ratios versus innings, and and I think it depends on the league as well—a shallower league versus a deeper league and whatnot.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's probably those rookie pitchers—they're a little less enticing for head-to-head because you know, a head-to-head format, they might be brought down a little bit. I mean, teams. The narrative of like shutting down pitchers, I think is pretty old at this point. Teams are doing a pretty good job about maintenance and six man rotations or openers and stuff like that. We just don't see it as much. But head to head, those guys are a little bit rougher because things could get pushed down. Where in Roto, you're just accumulating. And if they are elite, then you'll take your 100 elite and hopefully you have drafted accordingly.
0: I would personally enjoy if we went through every single other rookie or player and talked about the ADP. I know we didn't even go like... through. All. I, I see <laughs> Bellinger on
1: here. I see K. Brian Hayes. I want to talk about all these. I love them.
0: Uh, I also want to be mindful of the fact, again, that, you know, it's so early in the process is going to be a lot of yeah. time for more micro level takes on these individual players. And what I, what I tried to, you know, do with this conversation today is talk about things in a little bit more broader sense. Just get people's brains working before we get into the really nitty gritty come peak draft season in March this has been Chris Welsh of course of in this league and prospect one he's on Twitter at is it the Welsh I like this this was a tremendous conversation this is exactly what I think fantasy baseball conversation should be like this early
1: yeah no I totally agree and I appreciate you having me on I could have done it forever I always love talking these things and uh, I'm excited to come and chat with you more
0: Brennan Excellent, Chris. Uh, thanks again for coming. And yeah, we'll do it again soon sometime. Sweet.